I'm Kaitel. And I'm Joe. And we're the United Mates. Back in our school days, a shared passion for football brought us together as best friends. Today, we're separated by an ocean. I live in our hometown, London. And these days, I live in LA. But we still enjoy nothing more than chatting about the beautiful game. So we started a podcast. Join us. A few more old mates from school here and there. And new friends too from the world of professional football and beyond. This is the United Mates Football Podcast. Hello, hello, welcome and welcome back to the United Mates Football Podcast. Today I am joined virtually in Los Angeles, California, all the way from our hometown of London by my co-host Joe. And as usual, we have a special guest for today's show as well. He's an editor, social media producer and presenter with a special focus on football in the northeast of England. He's also a fellow podcaster too. He currently works on the Northeast Football app, which provides news about all things Sunderland, Middlesbrough, and his personally beloved Newcastle United. We welcome Matthew Ketch Ketchell to the United Mates Football Podcast. Ketch, it's a pleasure to have you as our guest. And how are you doing this evening? Yeah, I'm all good. Thanks, lads. Thanks very much for the invite. Pleasure's all ours. Looking forward to chatting about Newcastle and some of the work that you're up to these days as well. Joe? We are recording this podcast on Tuesday the 18th. Yesterday, the news broke, presumably not on the Northeast Football app, though, because it was concerning a London club, that Harry Kane has expressed his desire to leave Tottenham. Is this the Spurs apocalypse, Joe? How are you doing? And what's your take on things? Oh, I'm not doing well. God, I'm very upset. Can you blame him for wanting to leave? I mean, I don't. Oh, he's been my favourite Tottenham player of all time. It's very sad. It feels like we're, we're in for a messy summer, a sort of Kane versus Levy battle, um, which no one really wants to see, to be honest. But we're, we're all going to witness it. Um, yeah, we'll see what happens with that. But um, Ketch, yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. And we start every episode with an icebreaker question for our guest. So normally when we... Um, ask this icebreaker question to our guests. We, we look at their Twitter account and try and find something you might have said recently to then ask you a question. But today we're going to stray no further than your name. So okay. taking catch up off the table, both figuratively and literally, <laughs> today's icebreaker is, and we're going to give you a bit of time to answer this, but it's what is your favourite condiment or spread I'll, um, I'll start by saying mine. And I think recently I've become a big fan of sriracha sauce. I know that's mm. been quite trendy over the last year or two. I'm a big fan of that. I'll give you a bit more time to, to mull it over. Kai, do you have a favourite condiment or spread? Yeah, you've caught me at a very relevant time because recently I've developed a bit of a Vegemite habit. Um, I've been having that every morning for breakfast. It's Vegemite on a bagel and then a banana and orange juice. That's what gets me through my morning. So... Um, I suppose, listeners, for those of you who don't know what Vegemite is, it's very similar to Marmite, but it's Australian, and in my opinion, it, it's better. And um, beyond that, I actually did some some Googling, and apparently 2022 will be the 100th anniversary of the invention of Vegemite. So I would stick that in your calendars if you haven't already. And then if you don't know what, I suppose, Marmite is for that reference, there's not really a great way for me to describe either of them, Vegemite or Marmite, that's going to make them sound good. But trust me, they are elite spreads. Joe, are you a, you know, love it or a hate it when it comes to Marmite type of guy? 
Yeah, definitely a love it person. But uh, <laughs> no, it's a good choice. Um, Ketch, you've had some time to think now. Um, what are you going to go for? Well, I do like Sarancha and I love that on a burrito. I do like a burrito. I had one on Sunday from a local Mexican restaurant on the North Shields Fish Key, where I've uh, nearby to where I've recently moved. I, I don't mind a bit of red onion chutney on a bit of cheddar and a cracker. But you know what? Ketchup is the one that gets used the most. Uh, bacon sarni. I like a bacon and sausage sarni. I'll go double pig. Sorry, any vegetarians listening. Ketchup is the classic. And, you know, my name sounds like it. So I'm going to go boring red sauce. But I'm not like averse to brown sauce either. I'll, I'll take on brown sauce. If that's all that's there, I'll, I'll have that. I'm not wedded to red sauce, but red sauce is my go-to condiment. It's the one I use the most in my life. So it would be rude of me not to say ketchup. Just bring on all the sauces. Where would life be without sauce? Usually kind of the highlight of <laughs> a sandwich in particular, I suppose. But on from our favorite condiments to your favorite club, Ketch. Mm. And how did the Newcastle fandom come about? What is your Magpies supporter origin story, so to speak? Well, I went to my first game when I was seven, March 1993. The game was Newcastle v Brentford. It was at the crescendo of Keegan's promotion season, 92-93. He famously saved us from relegation to the third tier the year before and then gone on an amazing run the following season, signed Andy Cole and produced this amazing attacking we're better than them football that just took the league by storm. So by March, the club were flying, they were top of the league um, and the game, Brentford, was interesting for a couple of reasons. I think... Chris Hutton was playing for Brentford at fullback and he would go on to manage Newcastle. Uh, I remember things like Kevin Scott scored an own goal with a diving header. And the game is most famously remembered for an incident that I have no recollection of. Maybe I nipped out to, uh, to the toilet. But Rob Lee scored from the halfway line and it was disallowed for a pathetic offside. It was someone trotting back completely... In, in the VAR age, it wouldn't have even been considered a Newcastle player trotting back into their own half. Rob Lee scored from the halfway line and it was disallowed, but Newcastle won 5-1. And it, ever since then, it was just head over heels in love with Kev, basically because we were right into the entertainers era. Promotion, beat Leicester 7-1 on the final day of the season, straight into the fantastic Attics kit. I was a young goalkeeper at the time and got a little shirt over my shoulder there that you might recognise from that period. They, they brought out three amazing ASIC goalkeeper kits. And Keegan went, famously, his programme notes on the first day of the Premier League season were, we're coming for your title, Sir Alex. We, we want to come up and try and win the league. And which promoted manager ever says that? Ever. It's insane. And But he was right. We finished third straight into Europe and it just kept getting better and better and better. And by... 1996, I'm 11 years old and we're breaking the transfer record, signing Alan Shearer. So I had the most unbelievable start to supporting a football club. Newcastle were the best club in the country, the most exciting and everyone's second club. And they were on my doorstep. I was from, from Whitley Bay on the coast of Newcastle. So it was a dream start and it's been pretty much downhill ever since. And I wonder if I'll ever see a squad or manager as good and exciting as Keegan and his entertainers. We might get into that, yeah, but as you mentioned, what a time to start supporting the Magpies, and interesting to hear about that Chris Hutton link, I guess the tenuous Brentford-Newcastle link at this point is Ivan Tony, who we'll see if he's on his way back to the Premier League with Brentford or uh, with a, maybe another club, you'd think, one way or another, but otherwise, I mentioned the Northeast 
football app earlier, which you're editor of. And clearly there's a sense of pride that goes along with being a supporter from that region. So in your opinion, what is it that's so particularly sacred about football in the northeast of England? Good question. I don't know if you can put your finger on it, but um, there was a, a famous journalist from the mid-early 20th century, shall we call it, called, I think it's called Arthur Appleton. He wrote a book called The Hotbed of Soccer, which is all about North, the northeast and how fantastic and, and passionate everyone has become about football at that stage of, of, of its origin. It was probably only about 50 years old, the game, when he wrote that, that book. And, and he described the Northeast as just this place where the football was all that mattered and it was all that anyone thought about. And in a way, Keegan ran with that uh, when he took over and, and his team talks to the team at the time were always, these supporters have worked hard all week, all have spoke about in their in the factories, in their offices, in their place of work is the football. They want to come here. They've paid good money. They want to be entertained. And it really is something that people will talk about all day, every day. If you come up to Newcastle, you'll see people walking around wearing the shirts. I've got one on now. To be honest, I don't wear it very often. But in Newcastle shirt, especially back in the 90s when I was a fan, was considered genuine going out gear. You could wear that out down the town. And if you look at opening days back in the 90s and early 2000s, everyone was wearing black and white. And I think it's because it's a big mass of area, the Northeast, and there's basically three main clubs there, Newcastle, Middlesbrough and Sunderland, and a lot of people and a lot of space. So it's all concentrated. If you go down to the Midlands, there's about 20 clubs there that you're within a 20 mile drive from. London is the same, obviously, even, you know, on the South Coast and Sussex and Manchester, the Northwest, there's clubs everywhere you look. In the Northeast, there's three main clubs and neither of them are particularly prolific at winning or, you know, challenging for trophies or being in Europe. Newcastle are the only ones who've really, in recent memory, I don't Middlesbrough got to a final, have, have really done that. So it's all concentrated, basically. And everyone everyone just loves football. So Newcastle as well, the, the stadium is the heartbeat of the city. It sits right in the centre of town. You can finish your pint within 10 minutes of kickoff and be in your seat. You don't have to trek or get a train or a tube. It's it really is the heartbeat of the city and it it looks over down to the Tyne Bridge and the cathedral and very dramatic Coliseum-like stadium. And when Newcastle are playing well, you do feel the, the beat in the city. People have a, a skip in their step. And those days in the 90s and, and in the early 2000s under Sir Bobby, the, the mood of the city was really great. And to be honest, it's been really tough for the last 15, 10 years. You know what I mean? Like people are really struggling. I think Newcastle gets a bad rep on for certain things um it's a bit of an economic out, outpost and you know not to get too deep but like politically it's a, a region that can be neglected by governments so there's a bit of us and them about it and football's so tribal you know there is a north-south divide but i don't know maybe that plays into it as well if you come up to the northeast there's an element of pride that we're representing our our region and, and that's even more exaggerated by the fact that we're a little bit harder to get to. It's a little bit colder. We're a little bit harder to understand. But one thing I will say, having just moved from London back to the Northeast, where I'm originally from, to take up this new job, the people up here are so much more friendly and it's my mental health and happiness have, have gone through the roof, just being around people who are happy and want to get on. And and that's what the, the Northeast is all about. So a bit of a long rambling answer to that one. It was a big question and uh Hopefully, I've given you a flavour for what I think makes the Northeast tick football-wise. I think most certainly, and I think you know, yeah, 
us Londoners are a miserable bunch, unfortunately. Especially <laughs> us Tottenham and Arsenal fans, um, as Kaito and I very much know at the moment. But um, obviously, we, we've spoken a bit, Ketch, about um, the North East Football app. But prior to that, I know you worked for the Match of the Day magazine as well. And um, look, I have fond memories of when I was younger reading Match magazine, Shoot magazine, as did you know, most people our age when you're younger. I guess I was just interested given that football magazines have always been an iconic part of following a team, especially from a younger age, in, in today's world where there's so much content, even for the, the younger football fan, are they, are they still as important in 2021 as they perhaps were 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago? Well, here's the interesting thing about that. When I worked at Match of the Day magazine, we obviously would interact a lot with the readers. They would write to us and we would go out as well and, and do a lot of market research and, do workshops in local schools and we had a big affiliation with tops match attacks who do the collectible cards and stickers and they had a big swap tour i don't know if you ever did it back in the day where you would do a sticker book and you would try and complete your book by going to a big kind of conference of other sticker collectors and, and complete your books and we would go on that and have a little stand at match of the day and you would get to speak to a lot of the readers there and it was really interesting so the thing with match of the day readers are, and the thing with young supporters are these days is they can watch all types of football. They can watch La Liga. They can watch MLS. They can watch, you know, Bundesliga. They have access to it all. They can go on YouTube and pull up Messi's old games, et cetera, et cetera. And you would ask a fan, you would ask a young reader, who do you support? And they, they would always have two teams. So they would have a, an English team, normally the team that they support. And then they would either support Barcelona, Real Madrid, Juventus, basically wherever Ronaldo or Messi were. That is who they would support. So they all had two teams. So that was not the case when I was younger. I was a one-club man. But these these guys, they are were, they were allowed to have two teams, provided they're not in the same league. So you would get big, big Brighton fans, but they're just wearing Barcelona kit because they love Messi. And to the point where young readers were switching allegiance immediately from Real Madrid to Juventus when Ronaldo moved. Because if you think about that guy, he is a complete and utter freak of nature superhero to them where he goes they go they want to watch him they want to be near him Mbappe the same a huge player for the young for the young fans so it was kind of player based but then they would have a degree of loyalty to their local team so definitely change and I, I think that's due to access to content yeah the content access is is crazy now and yeah it's interesting how the sort of the evolution of the young football fan. I and mean, it's interesting. But it's good you um, it's good you mentioned those kind of conventions where you could go and swap um stickers, which I I went to when I was younger. <laughs> but um kind of leads me on to my next question about your own podcast, Searching for Shinies, the 90s oh, yeah. football podcast. So it's a really fantastic concept where you and um, your co-host Richie track down and interview players from the, the 1997 Merlin Premier League sticker book. So Kai and I used to get the sticker books. I think my, the first one I ever had was the 1999 one. So that was a bit before me. But um, mm. yeah, we, we very much approve the podcast. But we'd, you know, we'd love to hear from you. Um, how did a, a Merlin sticker book from the 90s sort of become the inspiration for a podcast? Well, I take full credit for this. Richie, my podcast co-host, will say he was his idea. But basically, post-COVID, I was actually made redundant from Match of the Day magazine. My role was made redundant. 
and it wasn't the end of the world. And I, I was kind of, I'd been there for six years and I'd done it all. And I was kind of looking for a new, something new anyway. So I, I, I took it as a positive and blessing in disguise. And then I was looking for what I wanted to do next. And a lot of people were saying to me, you've got to start your own podcast. You've got to do this and that. And I was like, yeah, I do actually. I love pod, football podcasts. And Richie, my uni mate, Richie Wyatt, who I used to go to uni with back in the day, he said, you've got to start your own podcast. I went, we'll start one with me. And we both had a love for the podcast that interview old players. So I know you had Warren Barton on your podcast. Love hearing from old players. We really like Quickly Kevin, which get they get a lot of players from the 90s on. And Under the Cosh as well. Love the interview style of, of, of their presenters where they want to get all the classic banter and stories, drinking stuff, you know, real warts and all tales. And we wanted to do something like that. And we were like, well, let's give it a theme. So we were coming up with ideas and I was like, we need to be like collecting and players and so what if we just sort of collect players like we're collecting stickers like we did back in the day? So that was my it was definitely my idea. And then Richie actually had access to a few albums. I didn't have any. They were back in Newcastle at the time, but Richie got a few albums out. And he was like, let's do, why don't we do the 97 sticker album? He was reeling off some of the names in there. And I was like, that's fantastic. So basically the premise is we go through the book. If there's any player who had a sticker in there, we try and track them down and interview them. And we've done about, dozen interviews now all from different clubs so far so you could say we're eight away from completing the one from every club goal we haven't had any players who had shiny stickers yet because they were the most coveted so we haven't had any actual shinies yet but we've had some fantastic guests so far we've had uh well here we go steve chettle ian hart neil sullivan craig hignett was a double episode because richie's a borough fan keith gillespie we had on recently his second part is coming out soon, which was fantastic for me to speak to a real life entertainer who I used to watch when I was a kid. And we just asked them about their career and we hone in on the 1996-97 season when we can, because we think this is the sweet spot of British football post Euro 96. The Premier League, the money was just starting to kick in and Lee Dixon was one of our interviewees and he had a good bit where we asked him, at what point did you stop drinking cans on the way back from away games? And he basically pinpointed the 96-97 season, which was when Arsene Wenger came in and took over. And I think we've actually found the sweet spot where players were still drinking heavily through the week and after games, but still performing to a high level live on Sky Sports with all the glitz and glamour and starting to get the big money and your beer camps were coming over and Zola and Tino Aspria. And we just love that era and, and we're, we're collecting interviews like Dickers and the players have been fantastic with their time. We've been doing two, three-hour interviews with these guys Keith Gillespie went over three hours. It's just amazing. They've got so many stories. It was a fantastic era and it's, it's been a joy. And I'd, I'd love if any of your listeners could give us a go. Oh, I'm, I'm sure they will. I mean, we, as, as, as you know, Ketch, we love speaking to former players too. So I think there's a lot of synergy here for listeners of our podcasts and your podcast. But uh, we, we've got a game for you now and it's mm -hmm. called Who Are You? It's a game we often play on the podcast. And essentially... We're going to be guessing mystery Newcastle footballers. Um, I will give you one clue. You and Kaitel will try and work out who I'm talking about. The clues are very vague, so just ask as many questions as you want, and then hopefully we'll we'll find the mystery player. Um, and they're, they're all Newcastle United players. So the mm -hmm. first one, the first clue I've got for you is is that this player has played in every tier of the football league. Is it? I've got. I want to just throw a name out already, but Dwight Gale. I mean, that it it might be right, um, but no, it's not him on this occasion. I'm afraid, not not who I was thinking of anyway. 
before I have another guess, I just want to say, I think that you can't really trump the sticker concept, but as you were talking about that, I was thinking I liked power pods. And then I was like, Ooh, pods that kind of instantly lends itself to a podcast name. If someone were to go out there and do a power pod mm-hmm. alter, not, not power that pod, your idea. Yeah. The power pod pod <laughs> or something like that. But anyway, now, now that I've uh, distracted us, um, who, who is this mystery player? Um, does he still play for Newcastle? No, he doesn't. He still plays in the football league, but not for Newcastle. Is he a goalkeeper? He's not, no. I'd mainly say he's a defender. And he played for Newcastle in the Premier League? Yep, he played for Newcastle in the Premier League for three seasons at the start of, I guess, whatever decade we just had, the teens or whatever. Oh, okay. Is he a centre-back? Centre-back, full-back. He he was quite versatile, I'd say. He He even... He's been known to play in midfield later in his career. Ooh. Um, Did he play for Forest? He started his career at Forest. I wonder if you're onto something. Is it James Perch? Yeah. Yeah, I would have had him as a midfielder. But I was thinking Perchy, but yeah, fair play. Good one, Kaitel. Yeah, Yeah, no, he's played in every tier of English football, currently playing for his hometown club, Mansfield Town. And Mm. yeah, that's, that's James Perch for you. I've now got another player, and this player has scored for both Newcastle and Real Madrid, and his name isn't Michael Owen, I should probably say as well. Newcastle and Real Madrid. Okay, is he a defender? He's a striker. Okay. I was going to say, I feel like uh, Jonathan Woodgate might have got an own goal at some point, but he's not yeah, a striker. Yeah, he did. He did. I'll, I'll give you another clue. I wouldn't focus too much on the... The Real Madrid part, <laughs> maybe think more naturally. Is it is it Santiago Munez? Oh, <laughs> I suppose he is technically. Yeah, that would be correct in a fictional sense. Yeah. yeah. Can I? Yeah, I'm. Do you know how? Um, the street I've moved to in North Shields, Colour Coat, is the street that uh, Santiago moved to when he came over from LA and oh. moved in with Glenn Foy. <laughs> so there's my goal connection for you. Lovely. I like to get that one in. That is a great connection. Can yeah. I have a stab at this? I'm going to throw a name in here. Jocelyn. Oh, you've got it, Ketch. Yes. Yeah, Jocelyn. Yeah, he. Um, I didn't know he played for Madrid, but apparently one appearance, one goal. Fair enough. Um, Prolific. Yeah, and he he was he scored a few goals for Newcastle. Not not the best striker ever, but he contributed. What what, yeah. what did you make of Jocelyn in his time at the two? Well, he was he was Rafa just had a fantastic way of ringing the most out of his transfer budget and who was available and how much money he had. He had no money. I think Jocelyn, God, he must have cost less than about five million, less than five million. And that was the best possible player he could have bought to suit our system within the wage bill. Uh, Personality-wise, he was ticked all the boxes and he was fine for us. And he's actually doing really well in La Liga. I think he's in double figures for his goals, almost. So he's pulling up trees still and maybe we could have done with hanging on to him and having him as a backup for Callum Wilson because there's no one else really currently at the club who can score yeah i suppose it was a nice springboard newcastle for jocelyn otherwise there's been a couple others like um cisco and and luke who it didn't necessarily work out for for as much much more expensive as well both of them (laughs) well i've got one more player which we'll quickly go with my clue for this player is he is currently playing in malta is he english he's certainly not no definitely not english Okay, which manager did he play under in Newcastle? That is a very good question, and I believe the answer to that is Rafa Benitez. Okay. 
Is he an attacking player or a defensive player? He's a striker. He's a striker. A striker. His his um his time at Newcastle was fleeting. <laughs> it's not Rondon, is it? No, no, but he had he had a similar, I'd say, reputation when he came to Newcastle. He'd had a good reputation abroad, and it just didn't it didn't work out for him at Newcastle. Mm-hmm. Is he European? Nope, he's African. Oh, is it? Well, Dumbia. Seydou Dumbia. Is he? No, you've thrown me there because I think he was McLaren. Oh, was he? Oh, I think he was McLaren. McLaren. Yeah, it's twenty. It was twenty sixteen. I didn't know if um, Rafa maybe came a bit later um, in the season. It's not doesn't. Yeah, we would have come. Yeah, it's not a Rafa signing, but he would have been there when Rafa arrived. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and save the day. That that is my bad. But Seydou Dumbia, yeah, is playing for the Hamron Spartans at the moment. In um, how's he getting on? He's scored four goals in six games, so pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's doing all right. Um, but there we go, yes, yeah, Sedu Dumbia. Had a, <laughs> had a little spell at Newcastle, believe it or not. Sedu Dumbia, one of those players who was always quality on FIFA, I think, especially during his time at CSK Moscow. A lot of pace. Yeah, and I think McLaren signed him, yeah. yeah Adam and his ultimate team. <laughs> yeah, ultimate team, exactly. One of the legendary <laughs> ultimate team players. Um, but on to, well your ultimate team I suppose in your eyes Newcastle still and we're going to chat a bit more in depth about current affairs and uh, mm. to segue from yeah the game that we just played you'll often hear a chance of who are you at grounds up and down the country uh, well you will when they're full of fans again but somebody who's probably had less family friendly chance aimed at him during his tenure at Newcastle United is club owner Mike Ashley who bought the club back in 2007 and since then there have been some ups largely made possible by the catastrophic downs that the club have encountered, such as two relegations. Um, talks of a Saudi takeover have resurfaced more recently after collapsing at the end of last season. Uh, so, catch on the job that Mike Ashley's done and the potential sale of the club, do Newcastle United supporters need to be careful what they wish for, or would anything but Ashley be a massive improvement in your eyes? Yeah, I don't think, I don't think it can get much worse than Mike Ashley, to be honest with you. So, that's where the fans are coming from. Um, it's really as, as simple as that. He's, it's been a disaster for him. Basically, it's he should look at what Spurs. He should look at what Leicester did at the weekend and winning the FA Cup and and really weep because their owner was you know beckoned down from the royal box and embraced by all the players on the pitch. That could have been Ashley. That could have been Mike Ashley if he'd brought someone into the club when he took over in two thousand and seven who knew what they, what they were doing when it came to football. And actually, to be fair, he kind of did. The first chairman or managing director of Newcastle was a guy called Chris Mort, who was a, a I think he's a sports solicitor. And he left after a year, I think just mutual consent. And he did seem to have a bit about him, sensible guy. But then Ashley's appointments after that were just, you know, Derek Lambias, Casino, Mogul, and Joe Kinnear coming in as manager and then coming in as director of football, which is like, you can't believe that's actually happened. Um, and then other cronies who come in, Dennis Wise, and people who have no grasp of, of you know, even, you know, the region or the fans or the history of the club. Um, this guy, Tony Jimenez, who was had a high-profile role at one point, telling Kevin Keegan to look up players on YouTube. Um, he was a steward at Chelsea. They turned down Modric and, and, and had a bit of a faux pas with Modric's agent when, the, when he came up to Newcastle for potential talks. Um, so it's mistake after mistake with, with Ashley. And really, look at what Leicester have done 
that, that that's an owner who's come from Asia and just completely invested and gone for it and embraced the, the local region and culture and done little gestures for the fans, like pay for their travel to away games and give them free drinks on a match day, a free pie. And yes, they're a selling club when their big players perform well, you know, like Mares and Kante and Maguire, they go for big money and then the money all gets piled back into the club. Whereas Ashley sells the players, you know, your likes of Kabai, Perez, they go for big money and then they're replaced on the cheap. It's The whole club is being run on the cheap, which is like he does it with his sports shops. If he'd given over control to someone who knew what they were doing and spent the time to listen to fans and get a feel for the pulse of, of the region, he could have been on something massive. When he took over in 2007, Newcastle was worth less than, was worth more than Spurs, played in a bigger stadium than Spurs. Now Spurs play in a billion pound stadium and they're worth over a billion. And it's the same for, for Leicester. Leicester were in tier three of the Football League during Ashley's second year in Newcastle. And they've gone on to win a league and win an FA Cup. And now they're you know, going to be challenging in the Champions League. They're probably going to qualify for the Champions League. They could do it tonight. Um, they're playing Chelsea. So it's just, it was just mistake after mistake. And it's, 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 it really is the, at the point where fans would take anything. But actually, the fans were telling us at Chronicle Live that they would take relegation this season if it meant actually selling the club. That's how strong the feeling is because this guy doesn't want to be there. He doesn't want to invest. And it's come at the worst possible time in football. If you want to be successful in football, you have to invest. You have to spend big money. And the guy's out of his depth financially. He's got a lot of money. He's a billionaire, but he can't put money in to compete with the top 10. Look at the money Everton are putting into their club. Newcastle are putting a fraction of that in. And he really needs to get out of there. And he's kind of stuck. He's wedded to this deal with Saudi. He wants to let that deal go through. If it doesn't go through, I know there's two court cases going through at the minute to try and push it through. If it doesn't go through, you wonder where his head's at. Is he going to be stubborn and hold out for 300 million? And I think if he does that, he's taking a huge risk because every year this, that he is in charge of Newcastle, the club is a huge risk of going down. So it's a scary time and it's a big summer for Newcastle and, and a lot rests on this takeover deal. It is a big summer for Newcastle. And what will be interesting, actually, is to see where Steve Bruce fits into all of it. Because obviously, he's just had a good month. A sort of Joe Willock, Joe Linton-inspired Newcastle been playing well. He's just got manager of the month. But I know generally, since Steve Bruce has been at Newcastle, the fan feeling has been he's a bit underwhelming. The style of football isn't the greatest. It's not very exciting. But, I mean... He's kept you up. Is is he going to be your manager again next season? And what and what are your thoughts on Steve Bruce in general? Oh, I think he's here for for the long run. As far as Ashley's concerned, Ashley will be delighted with him, and um, for a couple of reasons. So he's fulfilled his remit of keeping the club in the league, not overspending. He's cheap. He's the lowest paid manager in the Premier League, and he keeps his mouth shut. He gets on with it. He doesn't give Ashley or Charlie any grief. I doubt he's knocking on the door for for certain transfers. Maybe put a bit of pressure on in the summer to say, I want a couple of proven Premier League players, Callum Wilson, Frazier. Um, they came in and, um, you know, other, other uh, Jeff Hendrick came in, Lewis. So that was good. If, if, he put, if he put pressure on for that deal to go through, then fantastic. But he's a dream appointment for Mike Ashley for all those reasons. But one of the other reasons, which I, I wonder if Mike Ashley likes us about him, Newcastle fans don't like Steve Bruce and it annoys Newcastle fans that Steve Bruce is in charge of the club. And I think Mike Ashley secretly will enjoy that. Mike Ashley doesn't like Newcastle fans. Newcastle fans don't like him. Mike Ashley is never going to invest in the training ground or the stadium because he, from his point of view, why should I spend money on fans who, who sing names about me every, every week when, well, pre-COVID, 
when we were in the stadium. So I think it's win-win for, for Mike Ashley. He'd probably give Steve Bruce a new contract. I'm not even joking. Like that is literally how pleased he will be with him. And apparently he's been hugely supportive of Bruce when results haven't been going well this season, which has been often. But it's hard work and and Steve Bruce isn't a very popular person among Newcastle fans. In my time supporting the club, I mentioned my first game is in 1993. I don't remember a manager ever having this much apathy towards him. He's really not very liked. But what I will say for Steve Bruce is he is, he is a nice bloke. And I've got a little story actually I wanted to share with you that, uh, that proves this. So a mate of mine works in the music industry and he sells merchandise for, a, a, shall we say, a well-known artist who was scheduled to play at Steve Bruce's daughter's wedding pre-COVID. And this was April last year. COVID had just come in and we were all stuck in the house and it was my mate's birthday. So said artist arranged for Steve Bruce and Alan Shearer to come on a Zoom call with a few of us. And I was roped in to do a quiz um, with Alan Shearer and Steve Bruce and my mate. Uh, So I did a like a mastermind style quiz where I asked Alan Shearer questions about Alan Shearer and he had to answer them. And Steve Bruce was on the call and we were having a laugh. And we said, look, Steve, if you want to do some questions on Steve Bruce, do you fancy it? And he was like, yeah, I'm up for it. And honestly, he was absolutely sound. Great lad, great crack. It was just before the players came back to to complete the 2019-20 season. He was quite candid about what was happening, explaining how it was going to work. And the takeover stuff was an absolute crescendo. And he even spoke a little bit about that. He was a lowly, lovely bloke. But honestly, he should be nowhere near that football club. He was struggling with Chef Wed when he took over. He must thank his lucky stars every night that he's got a, an invitation back into the Premier League on big money as well for, for, for where he was at at the stage of his career. So it's a golden ticket for him, and I don't blame him at all for grasping it. And, you know, he's a very resilient man because he's put up with a lot this season. The fans are, are really not happy with him. I'm going to the game tomorrow. We're playing Sheffield United. There's going to be 10,000 fans in there. It's going to be very interesting to see the reaction towards him because, unfortunately... He's saying all the wrong things. He's getting his PR all wrong. The fans are not on side at all. And as soon as it goes bad on the pitch, he's going to hear from them next season when fans hopefully will be back in the stadium. So interesting six months ahead, really, for for Newcastle and Steve Bruce. Yeah, interesting and good to hear that he's one of the one of the nice guys from the world of football. Obviously, off the pitch as well in his personal life has been through a bit of a hard time as well over the past uh, couple of years. But as you said, in the best interest of the club, it's probably time that somebody else maybe takes the reins sooner rather than, yeah. than later but on from the manager specifically to a couple of players who I want to ask you about quickly before we move on to a final activity and one player yeah in particular who we'll start with is Alan St. Maximan who on his day you'd say Newcastle have one of the most exciting players to watch even in you know world football you might say it's probably not since Ben Arfa and before him another Frenchman Ginola that the club have had, you know, an edge of your seat footballer like St. Maximin. And I guess beyond the tricks and flicks catch, just how good is he and how long can you realistically hope to keep hold of him amidst interest from other big clubs in Europe? I think recently Jose Mourinho at Roma has been circling. Yeah, big time. And yeah, you hit the nail on there there with edge of the seat player. He is exactly that. And that is exactly the type of player Newcastle fans love. We are suckers for flair players. So it goes right back to the, you know, the 50s and 60s. There's a player called Tony Green, whose career was cut short by injury, who was a fantastic, exciting winger. Terry Hibbert was another one. And then you move into the 80s and 90s. Gaza was an unbelievable start of his career there. Didn't see enough of him, unfortunately. And then into the 90s, players like Beardsley, 
Ginola, who you mentioned. Tino Spria is probably one of my favourite players of all time. Un- totally unpredictable, just fantastic character, love of the love of the game, love of football, tricks, you know, nutmegging people with drag backs on his debut. And then in, in Ben Arthur was the last one we had. Uh, honestly, he was a, a, a fantastic player. You couldn't take your eyes off him. And then amazingly, we found Alan St. Maxwell. He's, he's a real deal player. He can and will play in the Champions League, in my opinion. And he's just so positive and so energetic and powerful and accurate. And to do that in the team at the minute is unbelievable. The morale of the team is being rock bottom. This is You've come into a, a team in February having had long COVID and the, the team are, are completely on their knees in terms of confidence, no wins. And he just comes in and he picks the ball up and he runs and he goes at players and he takes them on and he has he has fun with it and he just he's total energy and he gets I don't know if I can swear on this podcast but he gets the shit kicked out of him every every week and he gets up and he gets on with it and he's he's a fantastic player and he's also a breath of fresh air off the pitch as well. Only today have we reported on Chronicle Live that he has been awarded the PFA champion community champion of the year. Off the pitch, he's been working really, really hard with Newcastle's foundation. He's paid personal visits to the Newcastle United Food Bank to help them put together packages and and meet the people who work hard there to literally feed the community of Newcastle in the west end of the city, where there's a lot of poverty. And during lockdown, he was um, putting his own money into creating care packages for NHS workers. So he was giving out packages with like gift cards and luxury chocolates to all the local NHS workers. And his family, he says, a lot of people in his family have a medical background. So the NHS is something that he felt really strongly about. So he took it on his own initiative to do that. And I just love everything about him. I love watching his Instagram stories. He's a huge family man. He lives in uh, Jesmond with all his family. He seemed to be over there. He's got twin daughters and a young son. And I think his mom and his aunties and everyone lives in this big house in Jesmond. And they've got a big back garden and they're out playing all the time. And he did a thing which I loved last season which was he did a takeover of 433's Instagram channel where he did their Instagram stories for a day and it was like a day in the life of Alan St. Maximum and it was just brilliant, like from getting up in the morning and having breakfast with his daughters, taking them to nursery and then he was into training, banter with the lads at training, uh, you know, cool down. Then he was went came back, tried to, go to, tried to go to church and the church was closed, so he was a bit gutted about that. And then he came back into his house, he's in the pool with his kids and he's playing with his son. Just a... Great guy. He looks he looks so much fun. I'd love to hang out with him for a bit. And then and I'd absolutely love his banter on social media as well. Do a lot of stuff on social media for uh, Newcastle uh, at the Chronicle. And uh, everything he puts on social media is just bang on. I don't know if he's got uh, a couple of people helping him, but literally sometimes on the whistle, he's in the dressing room, his phone is open and he's, he's tweeting stuff, messaging fans. Meme game is very strong. Uh, love everything about him. I think we can keep a hold of him for one more season. If we have a season like this next year, he'll be off, no problem, and good luck to him. The the I don't have any problem with that. The problem I do have is that the money we recoup for him will not be invested in the club, as we've seen. So, yeah, it, it, but but he hasn't made any noises about wanting to get away at all. He's just like, I love Newcastle, focused on the club, and every time he plays, he, he delivers a very exciting player, and I just hope we see more of him next season. And he does it all in a Gucci headband, uh, nonetheless. Um, it sounds like uh, clearly the the city of Newcastle has, has taken to him, and then on the same vein, he's he's clearly taken to the to the local area as well. It's good to hear that, despite the the Gucci reference, he's quite a humble character. Um, but on to uh, one other f- 
footballer at Newcastle, although he's not technically a Newcastle United contracted player in the long term. And as an Arsenal fan, I'd have to ask about your thoughts on Joe Willock, a player who has been magnificent in the black and white of Newcastle over this last month in particular. Do you know of any Newcastle plans to try and sign him permanently? And what do you make of Willock's potential? Well, only today in Steve Bruce's press conference did he say that there will be talks with Arsenal. It just depends on where that falls within Newcastle's budget, which won't be massive at all and might not might not even exist. And I think every game and every goal he scores, his money, his money goes up and that's the issue, really. He saved Newcastle from relegation, I would say. His injection in, in the end of January was kind of came in low-key, but it, it contributed immediately. And he, he is a guy, I would call him like mini St. Maximin. He's got He's got he's got a lot of what Alan has. So positive, very quick, very direct. Knows where the goal is. Just when he's on the pitch, the tempo goes up. There's an outlet. The counter attacks on, and if he gets a sniff of the of the ball in the box, it's in. His finishing is immaculate. His technique is brilliant. And another one, just with a great attitude, he's come up, and he could have easily come up and sulked. I've, he's a boyhood Arsenal fan, been in the academy since probably seven, eight years old, and he's been nudged out the team by other players, you know, like Smith Rowe and people who would be coming in younger than him in the academy, which is going to be an ego blow, if he's honest. And he's he played quite a bit for Arsenal, but really hasn't had the run that I think that, that other players might be getting. Um, Odegaard coming in on loan as well would have hurt him, I think, similar player. So he's had a big loud message there from Arsenal and Arteta. And he could have come up and sulked and gone through the motions, but he came up here and he went, let me show them. And I thought he would come up and I didn't have high hopes for him and I thought he might come up and, and and do a bit, but the way he's come up and embraced it and embraced the love from the fans on social media and he's, his, his thing at the minute is he gets a hold of the social media officer's phone at the end of games where he's done well and does a little video message down the phone to the fans on the pitch and calls Newcastle the Maggies rather than the Magpies, which I'm not a big fan of, to be honest, but if Joe wants to call us the Maggies, I'll let Joe call us the Maggies, but no one else can call us the Maggies. That's Joe's thing because because we love him. He's absolutely prolific. Like he's scored five and five, and I think he started on the bench for three of those. So I love everything about him, and we everyone is absolutely desperate to keep a hold of him, including Steve Bruce, who's openly said that in press conferences. But it's all about it's all about Arsenal. They hold the cards. He is their player. They've developed him. They're going to want minimum 20, 30 million for him, and I I think that's probably probably out of Newcastle's price range, a lot of clubs' price range as well, because every club has made a loss in the last 18 months. So it'll be interesting to see. But if he stays at Arsenal, he has to stay and play because that is a Premier League player there. So he has to go somewhere, and I'd love it to be Newcastle. Yes, we'll, um, we'll just have to wait and see on the Joe Willock front where he ends up. I mean, um, if Joe Willock continued to play at Newcastle and kept playing like this, he'd probably be pushing to get in a sort of all-time um, Newcastle 21st century team so it's good now that we can um, for a final little exercise today build a 21st century Newcastle United team and the way it's going to work is Kaitel and I are going to read out each position um, 4-4-2 we've got a load of players to catch mm. uh, sort of take his pick from and then yeah at the end of it we'll have a Newcastle United team so I'm going to start by reading the goalkeepers out. And for the mm. goalkeepers, we have Shea Given, Martin Dubravka, Steve Harper, Tim Krull, Carl Darlow and Rob Elliott. Oh, anyway, my God. Yeah. Who, who sticks out for you there, Ketch? Right. 
I mean, I've, I've dropped a few names already on this podcast, so can I just drop a few more? Of course. That's what, that's what you're here for. So I've got a, I'm a big shirt collector, as you know. So I've got some shirts over my shoulder for anyone watching on your YouTube channel. And uh, I've got a signed match-worn Shea Given shirt. I've got a signed match-worn Tim Krull shirt. And Tim's actually someone that I've become friends with over the years because he lived, when he came over from Holland in the mid-2000s, he lived with the man who became my stepfather in 2010. So Tim Krull's kind of like a family friend. And then you know how I mentioned I lived in the same street as Santiago Munez? You won't believe who my next-door neighbour is. Rob Elliott. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I think I'm going to go... I might have to go Rob Elliott because oh. I, I see him most mornings taking his kids to school. <laughs> but he's a really nice, he's a really nice guy and he's, he's underrated. So instead of going for the obvious, which I probably will do in other positions, I'll give it to Rob. Rob Elliott is. And let's move on to the back four. We've got a bunch of names at right back, starting off with an Arsenal connection. Sad it didn't work out for this guy at my club, but Matthew Debushi would be the first option. We've got mm. Ryan Taylor. Warren Barton, who we've had on the show, Jeremy, uh, Jan Matt, DeAndre Yedlin, Aaron Hughes, Vernon Anita, oh Habib yeah. Bay, Stephen Carr, Danny Simpson, and then last but not least, Andy Griffin. If I've missed anyone, you can throw your own sort oh, of suggestions great, in mate. there, but who's calling out to you at right back? The standouts there were Warren Barton and Ryan Taylor. I love Warren Barton because he was signed in that year where we really had a go at winning the title and finished second. That summer signed Les Ferdinand, Ginola and Warren Barton. But then Ryan Taylor over the wall, I was at, I was in the away end that day when he scored against Sunderland with a free kick. But I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go Warren Barton because I love Warren Barton. He always likes my stuff on Twitter. He's very, he's very active on Twitter and I love that about him. I just get a huge buzz out of someone I used to, you know, adore when I was a kid interacting with me on social media so let's put Warren in <laughs> well we can um, we can definitely endorse that pick given he's been he's been yeah. a guest of us as well so we've got our right back we've now got a load of centre-back names to throw at you and we just need you to pick two here we go Fabrizio Colaccini Stephen Taylor Federico Fernandez, Nikos Davizas Fabian Shah Kieran Clark Andy O'Brien Seb Basong Titus Bramble Jonathan Woodgate Chancellor Mbemba, Mike Williamson, and of course, Peter Ramage. <laughs> Love it. Okay, so I'm going to drop some more names now. So, Stephen Taylor, when I first started playing football, Whitley Bay under nines, Stephen Taylor was a year younger than us, and he played in our team, and we had one substitute, and it was always Stephen Taylor. <laughs> he never played, he was a striker, and then he went to Crammy Juniors, who was one of, was one of Alan Shearer's Sunday clubs when he was a kid. And he got switched to centre-back. And the next thing you know, he's captain in England in the under-15s and signing professional deals with Bobby Robson and a Premier League player. So let's have Tails in there. Um, he can go in there. And then I'm going to have alongside him, Colaccini, because he honestly is the best, the most intelligent defender I've ever seen play for Newcastle. Just a complete knows what the opposition player is going to do. He didn't always have the physical attributes to, you know... <laughs> stop opposition players but in his head he was one step ahead of every other player on the pitch so I really like Colaccini um, so let's have Colaccini and Tails in there 
Nice. Art Collegini, what an icon. What a head of hair. Steven Taylor, mm-hmm. I think, supposedly got into a spat with Cristiano Ronaldo, who called Steven Taylor shit. And then Steven Taylor called him ugly. And that really got under Ronaldo's skin, apparently. <laughs> so, yeah, we, why not have Steven Taylor in there? Yeah, uh, moving on yeah. to the, the left backs. Here's a bunch of names. Uh, Olivier Bernard, Jose Enrique, Paul Dummett, the current most uh, long-serving player at the club, uh, Celestine Babiaro, Javier Manquillo, Matt Ritchie, I suppose, in the new age of wingbacks. Uh, Jetro Willems, who had a short stint, but was mm. beloved on, on the Tyne. And then uh, Jacob Murphy, another wingback. Jack Colback and Davide Santon. Yeah. Well, Santon was controversial because he was right-footed and Pardew insisted on playing him at left-back, which was always a bizarre one. For this one, I think Paul Dummett, you know, he is, I think, he could be on his way to real cult status if, I think he could do he could do his whole career at Newcastle if he's not careful. I know his contracts are in in balance at the. There's a bit of a funny one with his contract in that he could trigger an, an extension or something. I think he will. But someone who just came through from the academy and you thought this kid's got no chance, and he just proved everyone wrong. Proved everyone wrong, and he's a, he's a he's a really established, solid Premier League player. Very important, I think, to this team. Uh, cast my mind back to a really important game. We won in February against Southampton 3-2. We were down, I think we were down to 10 men. And he just came on and cleared everything with his head, hanging on for dear life. It was a wet Saturday midday kickoff and Dummett came on. He was colossal in that game. And he just occasionally pops up with these huge performances. And he's a local boy, so let's give that one to Paul. Well, damn it. I guess he's um, Newcastle's answer to sort of Tony Hibbert or something like that. Um, Everton, a bit of a cult hero there. But yeah, um, yeah. yeah, let's get a right mid in now. So, um, Alan St. Maximan, who we were speaking about, yeah. Atem Ben Arthur, oh. Yo- <laughs> Yoan. Kill me, Gitan. kill me. You don't need to say any more names. <laughs> yeah, I, know. I know, you're probably sorted. I'll give you the final few just as speed yeah. for thought. James Milner, Gabriel Obertan, Musa Sissoko, and Darren Ambrose. Milner, by the way, we should never have sold. Oh, my God. That was a killer. I remember Keegan saying it when Kevin Keegan came back as manager a second time and he said in an interview, I think James Milner can get in the England squad. And a lot of Newcastle fans laughed at that. And he went away to Villa and I don't think Keegan really wanted to sell him, but I wish we kept a hold of James Milner. Exactly the type of player you need in the dressing room and things could have been a lot different. But... um, we spoke so highly of him earlier in the episode. It's got to be St. Maximum. And even if he just gives us one more season, I just if he can just do 38 games for me next season, he can go wherever he wants. And I wish him good luck. And I just enjoy everything about him. His look, you know, the way he looks at life off the pitch and family guy. And it's so exciting to watch. And he's doing this in a very dull, dull team behind him. <laughs> There's not a lot going for him tactically from the current manager, but he just does his own thing and really excites fans and he is the PFA community champion of, of the year so who better to give it to than ASM yeah no arguments there not that Joe and I have a say in this this is your 11 catch anyway so mm-hmm. moving on to the midfield and the legend rest in peace that is Gary Speed is going to be our first name on the list after him is Johan Kabai and Alberto Solano mm-hmm. Scott Parker Kieran Dyer Jermaine Genus Rob Lee who had that disallowed halfway line goal apparently we've got kevin nolan john joe shelby who's not opposed to a taking a shot from halfway i don't think i've ever seen him score one uh check tiote another one sadly rest in peace we've got joey barton lee bowyer nicky butt emery 
Alan Smith, Moa Diame, and then just why not throw Hugo Viana on that list as well? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, amazing names. I think I know the two I'm going to go for, and I got I got I can do some more name dropping actually on this. Um, Dubai, I interviewed at Match of the Day magazine. He was at Palace, and I I knew it would be like a good quality interview. Sometimes you do these interviews at Match of the Day, and you get like ten minutes in a room with ten other people and. It's very rushed, and the players not into it. But this was a this was a, a an interview with his boot sponsor, New Balance, and we knew that brand quite well. Their offices were around the corner from ours in Hammersmith, and it was like they let us set up a room, and we had a camera there. And I just thought the first question I'm going to get in is going to be about Newcastle, and he just went on one about how he used to love celebrating in the Gallagher corner, which is some fans call it the Strawberry Corner, to where actually I sit, and he scored an amazing free kick against Man United once, and did a little knee slide down in the Gallagher corner, fond memory. And he said, I always used to run there. I used to love it. And he did it. He said, I miss Newcastle. And at the time we were obviously struggling for, to survive. And he said, I hope they stay up and come back. And he did a really nice little video for us. And he was a, just the coolest kid I've ever met. Like unbelievably cool guy. And when he played, he was a proper quarterback player. How we got him for what? 5 million from Lille, who just won league on um, Graham Cars one of his ones, I think, under Pardew. How we got how we got him for that money is unbelievable, and he was fantastic. And again, don't begrudge that movie did to PSG, so I'll have goodbye in there. And then Gary Speed is a funny one because, God rest him, what a player. Fitness level, professionalism, goals, tackling, leadership, everything. Unbelievable. Loved watching him. I remember I went to watch the, the team train around about 2002. We got snuck into, they just moved into the new training ground, and I had a shirt which already had some signatures on, and I wanted to get like some of the newer players on the shirt. So I didn't have, for example, Jenis. I didn't have Bellamy. And I didn't have Sir Bobby's and Lauren Robert. So I was trying for those players. And uh, Gary Speed, bless him, came up to me and went, can I sign your shirt? And I went, no. You've, uh, <laughs> no. And, I, and, he, and I, didn't, I didn't really explain like your, your signature's already on it. I just kind of said, no, no, thank you. And uh, he just kind of shrugged and laughed and got on the, got on the, coaching because they were busting them into the training ground at the time so it was a bit of a funny funny incident that I often think about but love Gary Speed him and Kabai by the way would have worked quite nicely together so let's have them too yeah it sounds like a, a good pairing to be fair let's get um our final midfielder in the starting lineup so left midfield Lauren Robert Charles and Zogbia Jonas Gutierrez Peter Lovenkranz Christian Atsu Sylvain Marveau Damien Duff, and then another one of our former guests, Matty Patterson. We just had to throw him in there. Yeah, Mint. That's class. Um, the obvious one there is Gutierrez, I think. He was at the club for a while. But the story of, of Gutierrez is, is brilliant. I always got frustrated with Gutierrez. I, did, I thought he had more in him. I always used to think you have more assists in you and you should have scored more goals. It took him too long to get the Spider-Man mask out when he eventually did. But he came down with us. We got relegated and he stuck with us and formed an unbelievable partnership down the left-hand side with uh, Enrique. And Enrique went to Liverpool, but Gutierrez stuck with us and then obviously like got struck down with cancer, which was unbelievable. And there's just a story of him coming back from that and being able to then play at a Premier League level and then save us from relegation on the final day of the season with goals against West Ham and then running over to the, the director's box and cupping his ears to... Mike and all the lads up, up in the uh, director's box. Just just a fantastic story. And he is an absolute legend 
on Tyneside. Still playing, by the way. If you follow him on Instagram, he's still he's still doing it somewhere. Um, and just a just a great guy who just came was a bit of like a fish out of water coming to the northeast, but he just embraced it, got on with it, stayed for a long time, and love everything about him. So yeah, gotta be in. Second Argentine in this eleven alongside uh, Colaccini. Moving on to the strikers and. I'll just get the sort of formality out of the way first. Although, again, this is year 11 catch, but we've got Alan Shearer, Demba Ba, Papi Cisse, Andy Carroll, Solomon Rondon, Obafemi Martins, Michael Owen, Alexander Mitrovic, Craig Bellamy, Loic Remy, Callum Wilson, Shola Amiobi, Mark Viduka, Leon Best, Iose Perez, Lomana, Trezor, Lua Lua, and Patrick Clivert. Two to choose, and if I've missed anyone, throw them in. Well, yeah, she was. She was got to go in. I mean, he goes in. He goes in your all-time team, really, doesn't he? So, mm. got to go in. One more to be his strike partner. Yeah. <laughs> um. I mean, well, it's definitely not Michael Owen. It's definitely not Michael Owen. Um, who are actually? And one more name drop. I interviewed him at match of the day, and he said loads of nice things about Newcastle. I loved my time there. I loved it. Oh, it was so great and. And then six months later was the spat with Shearer that he had famously. So it tells you all you need to know about Michael. Um, I think I might go Wilson for this one because he's just he just gets on with it. I think he's hugely underrated. He's he's had, he's doing crucial in both knees, um, and he just comes in and gets on with it. He's playing in a team that doesn't press, and we did a story on him earlier in the season where he was in the top ten for defensive presses in the Premier League, in Europe, in Europe that was. So what a what a graph there. And he's playing in he's playing in a really negative team, I think, that has no possession. And he scored 12 goals in 20 odd games. So Callum and Shearer, that would that would be pretty decent up front. You can think of him as the 21st century Les Ferdinand. Yeah, you've got two kind of natural goal scorers up top. So let's go back through this eleven and in goal we've got Rob Elliott at right back, Warren Barton, centre back pairing of Fritzio Colaccini and Steven Taylor. Paul Dummett is the left back. On the right wing is Alan Saint-Maximan. Centre midfield pairing of Gary Speed and Johan Kabay. On the left, Jonas Gutierrez. And then up top, goal-scoring specialist partnership of Alan Shearer and Callum Wilson. Not a bad yeah. side at all. Probably be, yeah. at the very least, pushing for European football, all of these guys in their prime. But that's about as much time as we, we have for today. And I want to say a thanks to my co-host Joe, and then a special thank you from both of us to Matthew Ketchell for joining us. Ketch, we hope that you've enjoyed being our guest and how can our listeners best follow you and everything that you're getting up to in 2021? Yeah, give us a follow on Instagram at Football, Twitter at Ketchell, and give us a go on uh, your podcast platforms. We are at the shiny pod or you can visit our website searchingforshinies.com where I've scanned in the entire 1997 Merlin Premier League sticker album. If you can put us in touch with a player from that book, I promise to send you an original sticker from 1997 as a prize. So give us a go on, on your podcast platform, Searching for Shinies, and uh, yeah, give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram. Cheers again, Catch. It's been a lot of fun uh, on our end of things. If you've enjoyed listening to or watching this podcast, please do subscribe wherever it is that you found us in the first place. On YouTube, you can put some faces to these voices. Just look for United Mates Football Podcast. Please follow us on social media. We're at United Mates FP on Twitter, 
Facebook and Instagram. We have a website as well with all of our podcast content as well as other posts and articles. Check out unitedmatesfp.com. Stay tuned for next week's pod. And until then, take care of yourselves and take care of each other. Goodbye.